scene was changed, new earth there seemed to be. I saw the holy city beside the timeless as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou biddest me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. And so at the invitation of God, we gather to worship. We gather to study God's word and to experience grace together. My name is Al Brady, and I'm so happy you've joined me for this service tonight. My prayer as always is that you will be blessed both by the word and the music. Would you hear now, please, the reading of God's Word? It comes tonight from Matthew chapter 25, beginning at verse 14. Would you hear the Word of God? For it is as if a man, going on a journey, summoned his slaves and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one. To each according to his ability. Then he went away. The one who had received the five talents went off at once and traded with them and made five more talents. In the same way, the one who had the two talents made two more talents. But the one who had received the one talent went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. Then the one who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five more talents, saying, Master, you handed over to me five talents. See, I have made five more talents. 
His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one with the two talents also came forward, saying, Master, you handed over to me two talents. See, I've made two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will give you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of the master. Then the one who had received the one talent also came forward, saying, Master, I knew that you were a harsh man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you did not scatter seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master replied, You wicked and lazy slave. You knew, did you, that I reap where I did not sow, and gather where I did not scatter? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and on my return I would have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him, and give it to the one with the ten talents. For to all those who have more will be given, and they will have abundance. But from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. As for this worthless slave, throw him into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, which art our strength and our redeemer. Amen. What is the secret of joy? It's pure and very, very simple. Joy is the one thing we can keep only as we give it away. In the parable of the talents, Jesus is concerned that we become investors in the gift of joy. He's concerned with the abundant life he's given to us and what we're doing with us. He's concerned with the entrusted talents he's given to us. These simply endowments are simply another word for talents. And they mean anything from representing the gospel to faith in Christ to a sum of money or God-given abilities. All of these things are included in this parable. Stating in another way, Jesus is concerned with our faithfulness as stewards of God's grace. Why? Because he knows that our joy is wrapped up in our faithfulness. What did he say to the two faithful stewards? He said, you have been trustworthy. Now enter into the joy of your Lord. Now, the story is pretty simple. Most of us remember this story. A man on a journey left five talents to one servant, two talents to another servant, and one talent to still another servant. While he was gone, the man who had the five talents invested and gained five more talents. The servant who had the two talents invested and gained two more talents. But the one talent servant decided just to bury his talent in the ground. Now when the master came back, he was very complimentary of the one who had the five talents and invested and made five more talents, and of the one who had the two talents and invested and made two more talents, but he was very angry, and he had a lot of contempt for the one who simply buried his talent. So what did he say to him? He said, take the talent from him and give it to the man who had ten talents. And you remember, he blessed the man with the five talents and the two talents who had made more talents. Following that, the master said, as he blessed them, well done, good and faithful servants. I repeat, our joy is dependent upon our faithfulness of God's grace in terms of the endowments he has given to us. Remember, joy is something we keep as we give it away. 
First of all, the first responsibility as a steward is to know the master, to know the master. The one talent servant came forward and said, Master, I knew you. I knew you to be a hard, harsh man. I knew you took fruit from other people and I was afraid. I didn't get much rest when I was trying to guard the talent you gave me. As a matter of fact, I got no rest at all. So I buried it in the ground for safety and here it is. Now you can have it back. This poor one-talent servant, he calls the master hard. There is absolutely no justification in the scripture to call the master hard or harsh in this particular parable, none whatsoever. A single talent is worth a lot, and for a master to give a talent to even a servant one talent, he was very generous in doing so. A talent was worth a thousand dollars apiece, a thousand dollars apiece. And as one person said, one talent would equal the wage for an average person for 15 different paydays. One talent. So you have to see that the master was very generous with this one talent man. Now a well-known minister had a seminar and in the seminar he pulled out a $20 bill. There were about 200 people out there and he said to them, how many of you want this $20 bill? Every hand went up. Well he took that crisp $20 bill and he crumbled it up in his hands and then he held it up again and said, now how many of you want this $20 bill? Again, just about every hand in the room went up. Then he said, now I'd like to try one more thing. He took the same $20 bill, he put it on the ground, he took his foot and he rubbed it into the ground, he ground it into the ground where it was dirty and smudged and in terrible shape. He pulled it back up and he said, now how many of you want this $20 bill? Again, all the hands went up. He said, you people have learned a valuable lesson. He said, you still wanted the $20 because you knew it did not depreciate in value. In other words, no matter how dirty or smudged it was, that $20 bill was still worth its value. Now sometimes, due to our life circumstances or something we do, we wind up dirty and smudged. And we tend to think that God doesn't love us, that God doesn't care about us. But I want to remind you that God does love us, dirty or sludged or whatever. God loves us, period. Jerry Clower, the comedian, told about this woman who lived next door to a, a construction site where they were putting a tall roof on this building. She had 16 children, or young'uns, as Clower said. One day she lost one of them. So she finally found this one. He was in a 50-drum barrel of tar, and he was down in the barrel. She reached down and hauled him up. And when she hauled him up, she looked at him, and she pushed him back down. And she said, oh, heck, it's easier to have another one than it is to clean you up. Now, what we need to remember about God is, God is not like that. Clean or dirty, God loves us, and he always will. Now, when you look at Calvary's cross, what do you see? You see divine love. Love divine, all love's excelling. What you see is a balky world, a selfish world. You see the soldiers who are yelling. You see power politicians. You see a crucified crowd. Yet what does he say to them? He says these words. He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So you see, there is no harshness about the master at that point. That is basically the substance of love and grace. Now, this particular one-talent servant thought he was doing the right thing by burying his talent. He thought he knew the master. He certainly knew what other people said about the master. 
he knew the gossip about the master, but the problem was he didn't know the master. Now, we have an advantage over that one talent servant. Certainly, we know about the master. We read his statements and his words, and we hear about him, and we know what others say. But we have accessibility to the master. The master will receive us. So what that means is we can come to him in prayer. We can come to him in prayer. That's what the one talent servant didn't have. We have an advantage, God's accessibility to us, and how very important it is. John Wesley was one who basically did so much for God and others. He changed the society of which he was a part, and yet he says that every morning at 4 o'clock, he got up and spent lengthy time in prayer. There was a lady on a busy street that was trying to get into a phone booth. She wanted to see the directory. She couldn't get the light on. She was frustrated. A passerby went by and interrupted her, and he shouted out, Lady, if you'll shut the door, the light will come on. The first responsibility we have as a steward is to know the master. And then our second responsibility as a steward is to know that the master expects a profit. He expects a profit. Listen to what he says. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. He's talking to the one talent man. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And on my return, I will receive what was my own with interest. Did you hear that? With interest. God always expects some profit from the endowments he entrusts to us. In other words, he expects that the kingdom of God will be advanced by what he has given to us. The cause of the kingdom should be advanced by the talents he has entrusted to us. Now, I conclude from this that God is going to be dissatisfied with us if we return to him the same life that he gave to us to begin with. And I take this from what seems to be obvious about Jesus and his word. When we look at the Sermon on the Mount, we hear what Jesus says, you must be better than the Pharisees. At that point, he thought the Pharisees were the best people in the world, the best people in Israel. So he said, your righteousness must be better than theirs if you're going to enter into the kingdom of God. If you look at the same, same Sermon on the Mount, he says, you have been told you shall not murder. But what I say to you is, you shall not even be angry. You have been told that you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, you should not look on somebody else with lust. The word says you should be kind and gentle and gracious to those who, know, who you know. But it also says you should be kind and gentle and gracious to those you do not know, even your enemies. Now the parable of the last judgment which follows this says that our entry into the kingdom of God depends upon whether we are going to feed those who are hungry, whether we are going to give drink to those who are thirsty, whether we are going to clothe the naked, whether we are going to have compassion on the prisoners and those who have needs. You know, there was a, an article in a major metropolitan newspaper that said that the baby boomers were in the process of coming back into the church. So this journalist wanted to know why. He asked sociologists, psychologists. One day he asked one of the baby boomers themselves, one who had just decided to join the church. He said, why have you joined the church? This baby boomer said, well, I didn't join because of the preacher or the music, or I didn't join because of the education. He said, I joined because I thought that the outreach of the church was most important. That's exactly what God is saying to us in this parable of the talents. He's saying, the talents I have entrusted to you need to be spent in behalf of others. Now, 
we are supposed to develop these talents and these entrusted responsibilities by being faithful in at least the following ways. First of all, we're talking about the gift of life. God gives every one of us one life to live. It's up to us whether we're going to live well or not well. We can live negatively, neutrally, or positively. We can live well or we can live fully or we can live bad in a, in a not so good way. But the point is, he wants us to live at our very best. Now, I want you to listen to these words from John Greenleaf Whittier. He says, of all sad words of tongue or pen, the saddest are these it might have been. Remember, God is interested in how we live our lives. Secondly, the gift of generosity. Do you know the big problem in the world today is not between the haves and the have-nots. The problem is with the give-nots. The give-nots. Who have been the people who have blessed you the most? Who have been the people that brought about light in a room of darkness? Who have been the people who brought joy in a room of sadness? Who brought calmness by their very presence? I'll tell you who they are. They are the generous people. The generous people. And then thirdly, the gift of mission. There was an article in Good Housekeeping magazine not too long ago written by a woman that said, if you are ready to marry a man, you need to at least know these six things about him before you marry him. And these were the six things she mentioned. Things you need to know about a man before you marry him. Number one, she said, watch him drive in heavy traffic. Number two, play tennis with him. Number three, hear how he addresses his mother even when he didn't know you were listening. Four, see how he trusts those who serve him, how he treats those, the maids, the waiters, all of those people. See how he treats them. Five, notice how and for whom he spends his money. And six, look at his friends. Now, if you would notice about those six things, there was one thing that ran through all of them. It was how we treat our neighbors. So what this lady was saying was, don't marry somebody if you don't understand how he or she treats the neighbors. And then the last thing here was this gift of hope. A young minister signed all of his correspondence this way, confidence and hope. That's the message of God to those of us who are his stewards. He wants us to live in, with confidence in him and be a sign of hope. In a world that's disillusioned and uh, disillusioned of plenty, God wants us to have confidence in him and be a sign of hope. As a steward, we need to know that God expects a profit on his endowments. And then thirdly, our third responsibility as a steward is to understand God's message of success. God's message and measure of success. That there's much appreciation for the man who had the five talents and made five more. There's much appreciation for the man who had two talents and made two talents more. But the one talent man was not judged because he didn't have ten talents or four talents. He was judged because he didn't increase his own talents. Now, there's a rabbinical parable where this parable says that when you appear before God at judgment, he's not going to ask you, why were you not Abraham? Why were you not Moses? He, was gonna, he is going to ask you, were you yourself? Were you your best self? So we're going to be judged by what we have done with the talent God has given us, not somebody else. I remember a few years ago when I was uh, around Macon, Georgia, I asked an Atlanta singer, 
uh, this fellow to come and sing. He had a beautiful voice. His name was Ralph Freeman. He came and he was practicing before the time came to sing. And when a friend, a friend of mine, a lady, heard him practicing, and she said, oh, why can't I sing like that? And I said, no need to. God has given Ralph a special gift. God has given you a special gift. And then we laughed together. We'll be held accountable for our own gifts, not somebody else's gifts. So it's important to realize that our judgment will not be on the talents of others. Our judgment will be related to our own talents, our own talents. And then fourthly, our responsibility as a steward involves our willingness to take a risk. Now, who was the villain in this parable? You know it, the one-talent man. He was called a worthless servant, a worthless slave. Think of Francis of Assisi. Francis of Assisi was a man who came from a home of wealthy parents. He had plenty, but one day he heard the voice of God speaking to him and telling him to go minister to the poor. What that meant was he had to give up the fortune of his parents. But he took the risk, and Francis of Assisi became one of the greatest Christians the world has ever known. Then there was Albert Schweitzer. You remember Albert Schweitzer? He was one of the greatest pianists in all Europe. He was a well-known theologian. One day he was looking at a statue of a slave in Africa, and he heard the voice of God. God told him to give up his great future and head off to Africa and become a medical missionary. So he leaped out and he took a chance. He took a chance on what he felt like was God's will. And then there was Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa, this woman who ministered to all the destitute people of Calcutta and many places around the world. One day a minister who was not doing well and had a bad attitude said to her, these poor people are lording it over us. She looked at him and she said, oh, the poor are lords over us. Now, what is the point of all this? The point of all this is God calls his people, his servants, to be servants. We are called to serve in the world. If Jesus could give his life as a slave, then we ought to be able to give our lives as a servant, as a servant. That is our call. Now, I want to bring this to a conclusion with this story that I read somewhere. And it's a magnificent story about a fellow named Bob Benson. Bob Benson had an elementary child who was in elementary school who tried out for a Christmas play. He wanted to have a major part, but he only wound up with a small part, two lines. He could only give these two lines near the end of the play. But this is what Bob Benson wrote. It was in a hot night in May, but he wrote this in his journal. He was referring to his son. He said, Mike wasn't a star by any means. But he waited faithfully, and when his moment came, he was ready. He said his lines, and he said his lines well. Not too soon, not too late, not too loud, not too soft. He said his lines, and he said them well. If only that can be said about us. Joy is the one thing we can keep only as we give it away. Let us pray. Lord, how grateful we are for this parable and for the lessons of it. We're thankful, O oh God, that we can see ourselves somewhere in this parable and we can hear your voice calling us to be faithful stewards, also calling us to receive the joy that you give to us because of our faithfulness. We thank you again for those who are watching with us tonight and we ask your blessing upon each and every one. Meet them at the point of their need and we'll be sure to give you the praise and the glory. 
It's in your name. Amen. Thank you very much for joining me tonight. I trust that you have been blessed, and I hope you'll share this program with others. God bless, and good night. Thank you.